Welcome, believers, skeptics, and paranormal thrill-seekers to this, our second episode of the Dealing with Demons series. Thank you for being here with me, as on this episode, we're going to look at possessions and exorcisms. Yeah, it's going to be a good one today. When you hear the word exorcism, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it some white-haired man screaming, The power of Christ compels you! Lots of pea soup and head spinning. Maybe it's some of the cases Ed and Lorraine Warren made into popular films. Regardless of what you think, exorcisms go a lot further back than the 1970s film. The first recorded Christian exorcism can be found in the book of Mark, when Jesus confronts the legion, and he casts them out, allowing them into a group of swine grazing nearby. In this episode, we will discuss the history of exorcisms the dangers, and some cases that you just might not have heard about. So as always, grab a drink, a blankie, and turn off the lights. Hello friends, and welcome to Through the Veil. I'm your host, the guy that still sleeps with a Bible under his pillow, JD. Exorcisms have gained a lot of popularity over the years after the release of William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. Before that, however, it was a very secret thing that the Catholic Church kept hidden in the closet like a dirty little secret. Since the release of the film, which the Catholic Church was disgusted by, it has been picked up by more the Pentecostal and Evangelical churches. Within recent years, there has actually been a spike in the number of exorcisms all over the world. Is this a sign of a demon uprising, or maybe a quick answer for mental illness? To understand exorcisms, we have to go beyond pop culture, go back to the beginning of it all to understand what it is and where exorcists get their power. If we go back to the first recorded event with Jesus in the books of the New Testament, we see that apparently demons roam the earth at their will, possessing this one and that one, Jesus came to a man said to be possessed by an evil spirit. The man was twisted and he was feared by others. The interesting part was that Jesus had a conversation with the man. The spirit asked him, Have you come to torment us, some of God, before the appointed time in heaven? This would insinuate Judgment Day. Christ then asks the spirit its name. Now this is very important in an exorcism or a delivery service. Once the name of the spirit or spirits are known, then they can be overpowered. Kind of like my sister's dog. She's mean, growls and barks, unless you say her name. Then she realizes she knows you. Then she's not scary at all. The evil spirit responded to him. We are legion, for we are many. One of the most terrifying realizations here is that there are no limits as to the number of spirits they can possess with one person. Kind of like a clown car for evil. However, although this is most, well, the most accessible early recording of an exorcism, it certainly was not the first. Other cultures had their own forms and ceremonies for ridding one of negative spirits. Religions such as Hinduism, Muslim, and even the Aztecs and Mayans had their own forms of exorcism. Some of those religions and cultures predate the appearance of Christ. 
Not only people can be possessed. This may surprise you, but homes, objects like toys, books, and television shows, and movies can harbor evil spirits. Safe to say, in all the research done for this episode in order to be possessed, you have to be open to it and or invited in. Well, JD, why would someone do that? Well, aside from someone who may deliberately do it for the sole purpose of becoming a vessel for something dark, there are other ways in which you can open yourself up and not realize it. It is said that communing with spirits is one way, aka things like Ouija boards, spirit boards, automatic writing, things like that. Anxiety and depression are also said to be gateways as well. Letting things into your life that are influenced by or things that exhibit evil. This leads me to the dangers of exorcisms. There is a reason that the Catholic Church requires an investigation before it will authorize it. They want to make sure that it is in fact spiritual warfare and not a mental illness. The problem with chalking up behavioral issues to possession is that you are not diagnosing the issue, which could be a mental illness. Therefore, you are missing the opportunity to give the person the help that they really need. Now, I'm not saying that possession isn't real. What I am saying is that mental illness should always be the first culprit you check. Which is why the Catholic Church has a checklist of symptoms that a person must display before they will authorize an exorcism. Things like speaking in a foreign language that the person does not know or understand, showing enormous inhuman strength, and first-hand knowledge about events that they couldn't possibly know about. I would say that if anyone shows these signs, they are either possessed or on some really bad trip. This is just the beginning. An actual exorcism could last days, weeks, months, even years. It's not a wham-bam-thank-you-ma'am kind of thing. There's conflicting reports of whether the actual person has knowledge about what goes on while they're possessed. Some say that they're aware of what's going on, but they are imprisoned in their own body. They are forced to watch with no way to control what they do or what they say. Others say they can't remember anything. Can you imagine having to watch yourself do something awful and not be able to do anything about it? The worst outcome of an exorcism is, of course, death. There have been deaths associated with exorcisms. This is why now there has to be a medical doctor present at all authorized rituals. So what are demons? Does a person get turned into a demon upon going to hell? According to research, the answer is no. Demons were never human. If you listen to my last podcast, I do go into that a little bit. They are fallen angels and or the dark spirits of the offspring that resulted from the fallen angels taking wives from the pool of women among the Son of Man. And the only goal they have is to destroy us and watch us burn. When we return, we will look at a case of possession and what the outcome was. Stay with me. Welcome back to the show. If you think 1973's The Exorcist took horror to a new level with the bright green vomiting and stabbing your lower parts with a crucifix all while screaming erotic things that you should let Jesus do to you, you haven't heard about Gottlieb and Dittus. 
a 28-year-old woman in the 1800s from the German village of Motlingen, located in Germany's Black Forest. Gottleman had a strict Lutheran upbringing. There's no doubt that this led to a very superstitious and oppressive religious life. Her parents died when she was very young. She was left to care for herself and her siblings. She barely managed to do this all while still attending the Lutheran church services led by Johann Christoph Blumhart. Blumhart was considered to be extremely fire and brimstone. According to research, he would make some of the more modern-day evangelists look like a care bear. His pastorship was considered fanatical and, by today's standard, Bible-beating on steroids. It was then in 1842 that the people of Motligan began to hear strange noises that appeared to be coming from Gottleben's home in the middle of the night. Some people began to become frightened as some of the odd sounds began to sound violent in nature. This spread to the other townspeople and the local doctor. The doctor began to become concerned after so many reports and hearing these noises himself that he decided that he and a few locals would stay there overnight with Gottlieben and her siblings to ensure that there was not a case of abuse going on. Yeah, the sounds were that bad. Imagine living in an apartment between two college students that like to throw parties at the same time. Now this is where things get strange. According to the doctor and the locals that stayed overnight, they witnessed a lot of phenomena that they couldn't explain. They saw objects and furniture moving on their own. They heard knocks and scratching sounds that seemed to be coming from within the very walls themselves. They were all left with the conclusion that the Gottlieben's family was suffering from a haunted house. The phenomena continued to go on and on long after the night that it was witnessed by a few of the townspeople. Then it went to the next level. Gottlieben began to tell others that she was often visited nightly by the ghost of a woman holding a baby in her arms. She claimed she would have sudden blackouts, and on one occasion she claimed she went into a trance-like state for almost an entire day with no recollection of what had happened when she snapped out of it. In a small town, rumors and whispers are going to fly, and boy did they. Soon, the townspeople began to come to the conclusion that Gottlieben's house was haunted or even cursed. Hell, the townspeople thought it was probably both. Then, someone noticed something interesting. All of the paranormal activities seemed to be focused around Gottlieben and Gottlieben alone. When this was discovered, she was sent to live with her cousin. This apparently stopped the strange happenings at the house and it followed her to her cousin's place. This let the siblings that remained in the house live in peace, finally. Stories of Gottlieben's unique situation made it back to Reverend Blumhart. This piqued his curiosity, and he knew he had to visit the young woman. What he discovered upon visiting her shook him to his core. He witnessed Gottlieben go into convulsive fits and tense tantrums of cursing and screaming obscenities. This was highly uncharacteristic of her. He then witnessed her speaking in different voices. Blumhart went back to talk to her siblings that still lived at the original house. They told him that sometimes she would physically attack them for no reason at all after going into a trance-like state. After she would come out of it, she would be shocked at the horror that had occurred, but had no memory of it happening. After hearing all this and putting what he witnessed himself together with it, he came to the conclusion 
that she was not haunted. She was in fact possessed. When Blumhart came to this conclusion, he decided to help Gottlieben with her spiritual dilemma. After Blumhart had made the decision to help her and support her through her horrifying situation, he began making regular visits to her. It was during these visits that she began to open up and tell him some pretty bizarre things. She claimed that when she was still an infant, evil spirits had tried to kidnap her. They were only kept at bay by the relentless praying of protective prayers from Mama Dennis. She also went as far as claiming without a doubt that her aunt was a witch. When we return, Blumhart decides it's time to rid the girl of her spiritual trespasser. Stay with us. Welcome back to the story. Let's continue. As time progressed, so did Gottlieb's spiritual warfare. It had gotten to a point where the spirit would possess the young woman and have direct conversations with Reverend. During these communications, Gottlieben would speak in a voice that was clearly not her own. This spirit claimed to be the one that had been visiting her every night. The spirit also went on to tell him that she was a widow who had committed two murders during her human life and that these horrific acts drew the devil into her. Now this is strange, because if we're to believe what we're being told, we are accepting the fact that a spirit was possessed by the devil who in turn possessed Gottlieben. I've never heard of anything like that before. Soon, this became something bigger. Apparently, it was not one spirit. It had become over a hundred. There was yet another plot twist. Most of the spirits that claimed to be possessing the girl were victims of demonic possession themselves. They were seeking refuge, apparently, within her to escape the evil that had followed them after their deaths. Blumhart had had enough. He knew that it was time to deliver this young girl from her torment. This, of course, angered the spirits that were residing in their Gottlieben meat cottage. The violence escalated to the point that oftentimes she had to be physically restrained. Her rants had taken on a blasphemous overtone. She began to vomit up nails, sand, glass, and enormous amounts of blood. At one point, the girl told the reverend that some of the spirits had become so angry that they had left her body to go cause chaos over a thousand miles away. And according to the girl, they were going to cause a great earthquake that would take many, many lives. Here's the kicker. Not long after this was revealed to Blumhart, word traveled back to him that a massive earthquake had indeed occurred in the West Indies. This is something that young Gottlieben would have had no knowledge of, especially in the 1800s. No Facebook, no evening news. This reinforced Blumhart's suspicion of possession and actually motivated him to see it through to the end. Now, unknown to Blumhart, the end was not in sight. He had no idea that he would be fighting this battle for two long years. This length of time took its toll on both Blumhart and the spirits within her. They were getting desperate, and the violence continued to escalate. It was reported that some of the invading spirits had become extremely defiant. They would shout obscenities and threaten the life of the Reverend and his family. I don't know about you. I don't want his job. 
It's like getting screamed at every day by irate customers in a call center all day, every day. In the end, the spirits apparently ejected themselves from the young woman's body, but not before threatening to overcome Gottlieb's sister, Katharina. Reportedly, when they left, they made good on their promise, and Katharina had become possessed just like her sister. Blumhart was not finished. He still had a job to do. He then set his eyes on Katharina. He was able to cast them out one by one over time. And after the whole ordeal was over and the exorcisms had come to an end, Gottlobin reportedly said, quote, Jesus is victor. Now after it was all over, Gottlobin later joined up with Blumhart to support his ministry. In 1850, he wrote a book about the terrifying exorcism entitled Blumhart's Battle. He remained a minister, doing faith healings and such until his death in 1880. Now, I know what I believe in spiritually. However, in saying that, I don't know what to make of this story. I have provided the links to the resources I used to obtain the information, and there are a few other stories about this phenomenon. So you're free to judge for yourself. Well, listeners, that will do it for this week on Through the Veil. I am so glad that you joined me on this dark trip. Please remember that if you like what you heard, then help that five-star review button get its own exorcism of negativity. And follow us so you never miss an episode. I look forward to next week as we look at the demon Zozo, who apparently loves to communicate via Ouija board. Thank you again so much for spending your time with me today. I appreciate all of you listeners out there. Remember, if you have a paranormal experience that you would like to share with me on the show, please reach out to me on Facebook by searching at JD Through the Veil. You can also follow me on Twitter at JD The Veil. I'm your host, JD, telling you to go ahead and turn your lights back on. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind. Thank you again for joining me as we had a peek through the veil.